0: That is not
1: the name of our podcast.
0: That's not the name of our podcast. And we don't have wolves this time, so it doesn't really work.
1: We don't have what?
0: We don't have wolves anymore. We
1: don't have wolves anymore. That's good.
0: Um, This is a re-recording. We uh, recorded... um,
1: Armchair Apocrypha. This is a (laughs) re-recording
0: of Armchair Apocrypha. We uh, recorded a couple weeks ago while Rachel was dog-sitting. And the file is unfortunately lost
1: oh because um, they were cute dogs
0: they were cute dogs and uh, there's a picture on uh, Instagram if you um if you mm-hmm. go go to my Instagram uh, you can see the cute dogs that were there when we recorded last time Ew. but unfortunately we lost that recording so you
1: must certainly <laughs> did
0: <laughs> but good news we are now recording from our new house ah!
1: <laughs> so we won't be hearing awful neighbors. We
0: won't have awful neighbors playing music. We shouldn't have any ambulances driving We're by. We're not by near a busy road. Right. Um,
1: so much has happened since yeah. the last recording. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so hopefully this will be a uh, a better and smoother recording than uh, we've had in the past few weeks. Yep, yep. Um. Yeah. Yeah. How was your week?
1: It was good. It was good. I... Andrew knows about my little crisis of maybe possibly (laughs) looking for a new job. But we'll see. i have just getting all comfortable in our new place, which is wonderful, which is great. Yeah. And just basking that part in at least. Yes,
0: I really like our new house.
1: It's really nice.
0: It's really nice.
1: Oh, and I met our other neighbor today when I went to go for a run. Oh, yeah? Mm Mm-hmm. I think she said her name was Jasmine.
0: The one over here?
1: Yes, and like she had her three kids with her. She's, and they just moved in in April, so oh, I'm like, okay. oh, we're both kind of new people nice. here, yeah. so yeah, and she says, it's great, it's really quiet here, blah, 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 oh yeah, I've noticed, <laughs> it's wonderful.
0: So we've met three of our neighbors. Yeah,
1: we've met the closest neighbors. Yeah. Yeah, to us.
0: Yeah.
1: So that's good. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, we, a, a couple weeks ago, we had um, a moving weekend where we, uh, we moved Rachel's stuff, we moved my stuff. Yep. And then Mary just moved into her new house. Because
1: she got a house, too. she
0: got a house, too. Um, and then... And then, uh...
1: Andrew couldn't feel his arm for three days, I I'm could sure. not feel
0: my arms. <laughs> um, I told Mary, because I'd helped her move uh, before when we were roommates, and I helped her move into her new apartment. And then uh, we moved the couch down the stairs, and I was like, I'm not helping you move again. <laughs> <laughs> you better be here for a long time.
1: She better because She <laughs>
0: bought the place. Um... So yeah, that's been our our month, last yeah. month. Um, moving
1: and decorating and organizing.
0: Moving, decorating, organizing.
1: Painted.
0: Uh, we painted. We uh, painted Rachel's room, and we have um, an accent wall Wolf. in our living room. Yeah. Um. We got the bar set up because mm-hmm. that's very important. Uh, it's a pretty decent bar. <laughs> <laughs> I've got all of my video games set up. Yep. Uh, so I'm happy. Um, yeah.
1: It's all good.
0: It's so good. We've got lots of space so we can have people over. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really, really proud of it.
1: Yeah. As we should be. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's been our, uh, our past month or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to get into the episode?
1: I am ready to hear about your personal overing because I don't really remember. <laughs>
0: Okay, um, so I'm going to be talking about the Cocaine Queen of Miami. Oh, yes! <laughs> uh, another of her, um, her monikers is uh, the Black Widow. Um, and she named herself the Baddest Bitch Alive.
1: Baddest Bitch Alive? Back
0: when she was alive. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: I think that uh, Beyonce might have uh, taken offense to that. She like, no, that's my title.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, she deserves it. But <laughs> this person also deserves it.
0: Um, so the cocaine queen of Miami, Griselda Blanco de Stripo, um, she, uh, she was born in Cartagena, Colum- Colombia. Mm-hmm. And when she was about three years old, she moved to uh, Medellin. Uh, Medellin was at this time fairly crime infested Um, she did not have a happy childhood and uh, um, trigger warnings for all of them um, sexual abuse Uh um, uh, physical abuse um, all of of the trigger warnings just just be aware of what you're going into with this Uh Um, so when she was very young Uh, her um, stepfather I believe it was her stepfather um, would beat her Um, the crime in her city was so bad that one of the things that she would do for quote unquote fun was find bodies in the streets and then bury them Uh, very very bleak stuff at the age of 11 she uh, killed her first person she took one of the um, the kids in her neighborhood hostage and told his parents that uh they would have to pay to get him back alive um and when they didn't pay she uh she and the people that she had gotten to help her with this kidnapping um shot him to death
1: oh my god i forgot about that
0: yep um keep in mind that a lot of our uh, sources for these stories is from her basically her last lover in the United States. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was in prison. Spoilers. Uh, (laughs) She was in prison. She took a lover while she was in prison. He's the main source for this. Um, He did a documentary called Cocaine Cowboys, which I believe is on Netflix. I heard of that,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, And so if you want to see his retelling of the things that she told him, uh, that's our primary source for all this information. Mm -hmm. Uh. Uh, Blanco became a pickpocket before she turned 13. Um, Her mother's boyfriend... It was her mother's boyfriend, not her stepfather. Uh, Her mother's boyfriend used to beat her and uh, sexually assault her. Um, And so at the age of 14, she uh, left home and started uh, pickpocketing and looting in Midian until the age of 20. Um, During this time, she met her first husband, who was a... um, he was a uh, crime lord in Med-Ain. Um his specialty was uh, trafficking, uh, human trafficking and drug trafficking. Mm-hmm. Um, so she meets him, she marries him, he gives her a better life, and then at some point she, he cheats on her, and so she uses the contacts that he introduced her to to take out a hit on him and has him killed. Say what? Yep. Okay. (laughs) So that's her first husband. Um, This is actually going to be a theme because a lot of her uh, future husbands will also die at her hands.
1: Don't you think the other guys would be like, I'm just going to pass on this one? You
0: would think that somebody would be like that, Mm -hmm. but apparently these guys were not very smart. Um, In the mid-1970s, Blanco and her second husband, Alberto Bravo, uh, emigrated to the U.S., uh, settling in Queens, New York, where they established a sizable cocaine business. Um, In 1975, uh, Blanco was indicted on federal drug conspiracy charges, along with 30 of her subordinates. Um, During this time, her second husband also cheats on her, supposedly, allegedly, uh, she was doing a drug called basuka which is a cocaine paste um, that you kind of just freebase um, and so it's very concentrated very cheap cocaine hmm. um, and so it's possible that she got uh, she got high and she got paranoid and he wasn't actually cheating on her but it's Fairly likely that he was. Yeah, as I say,
1: but then there's also (laughs) the chance that he probably actually was.
0: Um, So he, uh, one day, he just disappears. He's like, you know, I'm just taking all of my money. I'm taking my drug empire. I'm running. Um, And he doesn't tell Blanco where he's going or what he's doing. He just up and leaves. Okay. So Blanco calls him up and is like, hey, I want to meet. I want to, like, get what you owe me, like, all this stuff. Um, and they decide to meet somewhere Um, and there are a few different ways that this story is told Um, hashtag armchair apocrypha (laughs) Um, and so um, we're not sure which one is the true one Uh, I'm going to go with the most outlandish one I think this is the one in the Drunk History episode Um, and then I'll tell you the other ones so in the Drunk History episode um, his security details there um he's there she shows up um she has a pistol i believe it was in her boots and he has a uh submachine gun in his belt so they start arguing she goes to shoot him with her pis- her pistol he pulls his um his uh submachine gun shoots her once in the stomach she shoots him in the face with her pistol, grabs a submachine gun, and guns down his entire I wanna security. I want to see all detail. this in slow
1: motion.
0: So <laughs> Zack Snyder, get on it. Yeah. Um, so that's the most outlandish version of the story. There it's a are
1: S- version, though.
0: Uh, some other versions where, um, in one, um, they both have their security details there, and um, she does all of this without her security detail ever firing a shot and then there's one where it's like uh um uh what's the the old action movie swordfish where it's like a shootout um between the two security details uh but i like the first one because it's so over the top and so outlandish and she comes out as the sole survivor of it
1: well yeah Yeah. (laughs) obviously
0: Um, so that's her second husband. You you would think at some point she would just start getting a divorce, but now it's just easier to kill it her should, It actually probably is, let's <laughs> be honest. Um, so she gets indicted um, on uh, federal drug conspiracy charges, um, and she flees back to Columbia um, before she can be arrested. Um, in my Netflix series based yeah. on these events, I think that this would be like the first season finale or the second season finale where like she goes back to Columbia and she's like you know I'm gonna get out of the drug trade I'm just gonna go straight I'm just gonna enjoy my life here I've got enough money I've got enough contacts I can just be like a family woman from now on
1: yeah
0: um unfortunately she doesn't do that she goes to Miami Miami um I would not go to Miami but that's just me (laughs) Um, Blanco uh, is obsessed, by the way, with the uh, the Godfather movies, mm-hmm. um, and so she um, she kind of models herself after the Godfather.
1: Okay.
0: Um, and during this time, she takes uh, she takes the name of the Godmother. Um, she um, she buys a mansion there where she has a huge bust of herself out in front and when <laughs> her contacts come in that. they will uh, rub the bust of the godmother for good luck alright um, she, uh, she becomes known um, as the uh, let's see um, because she's so obsessed with the godfather movies with this life of crime with this life of violence um, she pushes the drug war much harder and faster than it's ever been done before mm-hmm. um, at one point she has what's called a war wagon which is just a, uh, a car that's filled with um, guns, rifles, submachine guns, all of this stuff um, and she sends it out to go do a hit and the, the war wagon gets um, gets caught in traffic and the police find it This is the first time the Miami police realized Oh shit, we're in a war This isn't like What we're used to This is like fully armed Fully armored uh, war wagon Um, So After the second of her war wagons Was uh, captured by the police She had to invent a new method Of assassinating people Do you remember what that is?
1: Not poison?
0: The motorcycle drive-by.
1: Oh, yes! Damn it!
0: <laughs> so she gets her assassins to go out on motorcycles. They usually have a submachine gun or a pistol. Um, they'll kill her political or drug enemies mm-hmm. um, on the street. And then using their motorcycles, they can just cut through traffic. Yeah. And that's how they don't get caught anymore,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, is by using these motorcycle drive-bys. Um Fun fact: The TV show Miami Vice, based off the drug war that she uh, she started and uh, elevated.
1: That's hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah, I don't know if that's the right <laughs> word to use, but interesting. Yeah. Hmm. interesting.
0: Um, the uh, the um the behind the bastards episode on Griselda Blanco is one of my favorites, and it's really really entertaining. Um, and he goes a lot deeper into her, um, her life in Miami. Um, so during this time, the FBI is um, uh, doing their investigation. Um, they're closing in on her. They're building a case against her. Um, she um, One of the cops that's assigned to take her down uh, apparently promises his team that... Um,
1: he's going to kiss her, right?
0: When he finds her, he's yes, going to arrest that. her and he's going to kiss her. Ugh. Which is weird. Yeah. Um, don't do that. <laughs> um, so there are a couple of stories about how her second arrest goes down. Um, in this, this one, um, she flees to Irvine, California... She's like the FBI is closing in on me. We're gonna get, uh, we're gonna get out of here. Um, yeah, they're not gonna catch me. She flees to Irvine, California. Um, the cop follows her to Irvine, California, and there are two versions of the story. In one, he walks in and she is sitting in her living room, and the police are like going through her place, trashing everything. And he walks over, um, kisses her on the cheek, and arrests her. In the second one, she is in bed, um, like, trying to sleep. Mm-hmm. And as a cocaine addict, she was probably, like, burnt out. Out. Yeah. Um, and he comes in and kisses her on the lips and arrests her. Ugh. Guys, don't do that. No. That's weird.
1: It's real bad.
0: You're, you're very weird. <laughs> um, uh, one of the things that, um, one of the rumors that the uh, the police... Uh, spread about her during her time in Miami, uh, which is also, may or may not be true, is that she would have huge orgies at her house. um, Bisexual orgies where she would force men and women to service her at gunpoint.
1: Uh.
0: Yeah but it's it may not be true. It may be something that the police just made hashtag up. Hashtag
1: armchair apocrypha. Hashtag
0: armchair apocrypha. Because, you know, killing people, assassinating people in, in front of their children, that's not the bad part. The bad part is it's the bisexual. Or, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the real bad part. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not saying our society is fucked up, but our society is fucked up. <laughs> uh, so she gets arrested in Miami-Dade, um, and she gets sent to uh, prison. Um, after her trial she's sentenced to more than a decade in jail um, but she continues to effectively run her cocaine empire from jail Um, this is where she meets her uh, her final lover um, whose name I cannot remember Um, let's call him Bill let me see if I can find it Sepulveda maybe yeah Dario Sepulveda I was close. No. Somebody else. Bill. I cannot find it. Unfortunately. (laughs)
1: Let's just put on "Cocaine Cowboys" and see (laughs) what
0: happens. Yeah, let's just watch that. Uh, watch that documentary, and then we'll start over again. Um. So, um, she gets arrested, uh, her final lover sends her a letter in the mail saying, you're a legend, I really want to meet you. Yeah. Like, is there any way that you could get arranged for me to come in and see you? And she does. And when he walks in, she is wearing a fully silk, um... Very fashionable.
1: Normal prison garb. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly what they give you in prison: uh, a full uh, silk bodysuit, and um, a, not a bodysuit—a a full outfit. silk outfit—and um, I believe she was wearing a skirt, but I could be mistaken about that. But um, apparently, what happens during this this first meeting between them is that. He talks to her for a minute. He's just raving about what a legend she is, how great she is. And then they just start making out in the middle of the visiting mm-hmm. room in the prison. Um, so they start having a relationship in prison. Uh, lots of conjugal visits. Um, about once a week, he's coming in to see her. Um, they're having their relationship in a private room. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, he decides that he's going to cheat on her because that's a great idea. Yeah and it's it's worked out so well in the Mm -hmm. past for other men Um, she finds out about it of course she calls him up she threatens to kill him if he continues to do it Um, he says you know I'm a man once a week in prison isn't satisfying me Mm -hmm. and she says okay that's fair and then she gets the prison to change their conjugal visit hours so he can visit her more
1: thank god
0: she didn't kill him this time, so she must have really cared about him.
1: She's had a change of heart. <laughs> She's getting weak in her old age. Um,
0: so one of uh, Blanco's lieutenants is the uh, the main witness for the Miami-Dade State Attorney's Office. Um, and uh, the, case gets, uh, the case collapses because her lieutenant is sleeping with and having tele- telephone sex with. Uh, female secretaries in the DA's office mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: because that's professional you know that's what you do is. Is. You've, you've got a drug lieutenant and you just uh, you sleep with them and then if you're uh, a little bit more averse to sleeping with uh, a drug lord you have telephone sex with them yeah and um, it was multiple people involved in this so apparently this guy had game oh god <laughs> Um, so their case collapses, um, in 2004, Blanco is released from prison and deported back to Medellin, um, before her death in 2012, the last sighting of Blanco was in 2007 at Bogota airport. So she gets back to, um, Medellin, mm-hmm. she kind of like becomes a homebody. She doesn't really go out in public. She doesn't yeah, really do stuff. Yeah, she's minding
1: her own business. She's
0: just minding her own business. Um, and she was apparently safe for, uh, you know, um, six years. That's um, a long time for yeah. someone
1: who's, you know, that high profile.
0: Yeah. Um, her, uh, her son, um, I, th- I think she keeps in, t- in contact with her son, uh, Michael Corleone. Shut up. That's his name, Michael Corleone. i told you she's obsessed with the godfather she
1: is literally okay. Um,
0: okay. so she's keeping contact with him back in the states uh but for the most part she's not really doing anything um on the day of her death she goes into the nearest town um she buys uh what behind the bastards described as like in uh an in inconceivable amount of meat from the local butcher Mm -hmm. um and this is one of those, another one of those weird stories where like it could go two different ways. Uh, I believe that in um, drunk history episode, uh, she orders the meat to be sent back to her estate. But in the behind the bastards episode, like her and her, um, her and her uh, uh, detail are carrying the meat back to her estate. Um, but while she's in the process of going from the butcher back to her estate. Uh, a motorcycle assassin pulls up next to her, shoots her dead in the street. Um, killed
1: by the invention she created.
0: Killed by the very method that she invented. Um, and, uh, another detail that may or may not be true is that she was killed next to or holding a Bible. Yeah. I don't believe that. Yeah. One.
1: That one's a real far fetch for yes.
0: me. <laughs> um. So that was the uh, that was the story of the Cocaine Queen of Miami.
1: Uh, that's a really good name for her. It's kind of spot on.
0: The Cocaine Queen of Miami, the Godmother of Cocaine, and the Black Widow. The,
1: yeah, those are all pretty <laughs> brilliant, actually.
0: And the baddest bitch alive. And
1: the baddest bitch alive. Who's
0: not alive anymore.
1: Who is now dead. Wow, great job. <laughs> I loved it just as much the second time right? Yeah. Uh, I still remember "Drunk History." Meyer Rudolph Laser does yeah. a great job at it. It was really good. Okay, so I know you probably remember this, but we're gonna—I'm going back to my favorite topic: Presence. presidents. Presidents. Today, we're going to talk about Warren G. Harding. Warren G. Harding. I'm pretty sure one of your favorite presidents of oh, all time.
0: Absolutely, just <laughs> just the tops.
1: And do you remember what the G in Warren G. Harding stands for? Oh, I
0: don't. Is Sorry. this going to be on the test?
1: Uh, no. Other things will be though, so pay attention. Gamaliel. G-A-M-A-L-I-E-L. Oh, that's
0: right. We looked that up last time. Yep,
1: because that's a name, apparently. It's biblical. Probably, Probably. Probably. yeah. Um, Harding was born, like a lot of presidents, in Ohio. He was born November 2nd, 1865 in Blooming Grove, Ohio. Um... When he was younger, his nickname was Winnie, which I think is actually kind of adorable. Mm -hmm. He was the oldest of eight children, because that's how they did it back then, as you know. Um, In 1870, the Harding family, who were abolitionists, moved to Caledonia, Ohio, where um, his dad acquired the Argus, a local weekly newspaper. Mm
0: -hmm. And Winnie followed.
1: And Winnie followed.
0: I still have issue with him being called Winnie.
1: <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. Winnie Harding? Winnie?
0: Winnie Harding. Okay. <laughs> with the dog Ladyboy? Yep. Wasn't that his dog's name?
1: Uh, I can't remember his dog's name, but it mm. doesn't really come up in this one. Okay. Um, at the Argus, uh... Winnie, or we'll call him Warren from now on, yeah. at the, from the age of 11, 11, learned the basics of how basically the newspaper business worked back then. So then in late 1879, at the ripe old age of 14, um, Warren Harding went to Ohio Central College in Iberia, Ohio. He and a friend actually put out their own small newspaper at this college called the Iberia Spectre um, during their senior year. Um, and that is also when his whole family moved to Marion, Ohio, where a lot of this later stuff will take place. And um, so when he graduated in 1882, he joined them there in Marion, Ohio. Oh, yeah, so like So like all college graduates, he moved back home afterwards.
0: Yeah, I did that.
1: Um, me too. In 1884, so two years afterwards, he and several partners purchased a small struggling newspaper called the Marion Star. And when they took when they acquired it, the Marion grew from 4,000 subscribers around 1880 to twice that in 1890, um, and then um, triple that to 12,000 by 1900. So in 10 years, they went from 4,000 subscriptions to 12,000 subscriptions. Good job. Um, to date, Harding is the only U.S. president to have a journalism experience which i think is weird but most of them are like lawyers and senators basically because apparently that's a lifetime job now
0: well i can imagine like journalists not wanting to be president just like yeah spending Fake time in, spending time in <laughs> dc and seeing all of the getting shit real bitter the, about it fucking kavanaugh fucking all of this stuff and just being like nope
1: not oh, for I'm me good. so now we're gonna talk about his love life Harding first came to know Florence King, who was actually five years older than him. Hashtag cougar. (laughs) Um, Hashtag cougar. um, She was the daughter of a local banker and a developer. Um, Amos King. Kling. I keep saying king. Kling. Amos Kling was a man accustomed to getting his way, but Harding actually attacked him relentlessly in the newspaper. Um, But basically... um, Florence eloped with some man named Pete DeWolf and then she left and then came back without the husband, but with a child (laughs) called Marshall. Um, And then so the, her father, Amos, Kling agreed to raise the boy, but would not support Florence, who made a living as a piano teacher. And how they got to know each other was one of her students was Harding's sister named Charity.
0: Charity Harding.
1: Charity Harding. And then by 1886, Florence had obtained a divorce from this guy named Pete. And then she and Warren started dating, though um, who was pursuing who was uncertain at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Hardings were married in 1891 in July the marriage they had no children no children no children we produced no children uh warren harding warren harding affectionately called his wife the duchess based on a character in a serial from the new york sun in which the duchess kept a close eye on the duke and their money earning anything that required efficiency i think it was supposed to be endearing
0: it doesn't sound endearing to me but <laughs> maybe it was
1: that I think, <laughs> supposed <to> be dear. <laughs> um, it's
0: like calling your wife boss. Yeah. Thanks for the food, boss.
1: Ugh. <laughs> um, Harding's success as an editor took a toll on his health. I'm pretty sure other things did. Five times between 1889, when he was only fucking 23, mm-hmm. and 1901, um, so like a 12 year span, he spent time at the Battle Creek Sanatorium. For reasons um, people described as fatigue, overstrain, and nervous illnesses.
0: So he was in rehab.
1: He had fatigue, (laughs) overstrain, and nervous illnesses. He was drinking a lot Um, and needed to dry out. During... (laughs) um, uh, People tie these visits to early occurrences of the heart ailment that would later kill Uh Harding in 23. Um... Spoiler alert. (laughs)
0: Spoilers.
1: During one such absence from Marion in 1894, the star's business manager quit. Florence Harding took his place. She became her husband's top assistant at the star on the business side, maintaining her role until the Hardings moved to Washington in 1915. Um, So she had that role for like almost 20 years. (laughs) Harding was one of many. uh, Are we okay? Yeah. Okay, Harding was one of many orators who spoke across Ohio as part of the campaign of the Republican presidential candidate uh, for the state's former governor, the great William McKinley. <laughs> um, and according to people while, while he was working for McKinley, Harding began making a name for himself through Ohio because apparently he's a pretty good orator. He's a good public speaker. I believe it. So this is when we start getting into his beginning of politics, mm-hmm. which was around 1898. He won election to the Ohio Senate where he served for four or five years, four years. Um, he was Ohio's lieutenant governor for two years but lost the bid for governorship uh, four years later. And then basically, he stepped into the national spotlight at the Republican National Convention when he gave a speech nominating President William Taft for a second term. All right, so this is where we're going to go into amendments. Do you remember what the 17th Amendment is?
0: Um, I do not.
1: Uh, The amendment was proposed by Congress in 1912 and adopted in 1913. Um, The amendment established the popular election of the United States senators by the people of states. The amendment supersedes a previous one um, under which senators are actually elected by state legislators. Okay.
0: So we actually get to choose our representatives now rather than just having them handpicked by somebody else. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um,
0: Democracy.
1: Yeah so it just so happens that all the people that would have run for u.s senate in 1914 dropped out and harding was encouraged to run so in 1914 he was actually elected to the u.s senate where he remained until his 1921 presidential inauguration um he had an undistinguished career in the senate
0: undistinguished
1: basically while he supported high tariffs and opposed president wilson's plan for the league of nations Harding was generally a, a conciliator and took few strong stands on any issues. He literally just did what other people told him what to do. Yeah. Um, on two issues, women's suffrage and the prohibition of alcohol, were picking the wrong side would have damaged his presidential prospect in 1920, he proposed by taking nuanced positions, like I just said. Um, he indicated that he could not support votes for women until Ohio did. Then he did. Um, increased support for suffrage there and among Republicans. By the time Congress voted on the issue, Harding was now a firm supporter. (laughs) What was that eye roll? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Harding, who drank, initially voted against banning alcohol. He voted, though, for the 18th Amendment, which imposed prohibition after successfully moving to modify it by placing a time limit on it, which was expected to actually kill it, which obviously it did. Mm -hmm. And, um the aftermath of World War One, as we all remember that from our time during World War One, uh, the social changes of the progressive era, the pro-business Harding advocated a return to normalcy. Isn't that a great slogan? Return to normalcy. Return to normalcy. Yeah. That
0: was literally a John Stewart joke back during, um, the McCain, um, McCain...
1: Uh, Palin running?
0: No, it was McCain-Obama election. Oh,
1: yeah. okay. Return to normalcy. There was
0: the, uh, the rally for normalcy and um, Stephen Colbert had the the rally for chaos or something like that
1: (laughs) I love that Um, he conducted the front porch campaign from his home in Marion and thousands of people traveled there to hear him speak (laughs) due to the high volume of visitors Harding's front lawn had to be replaced with gravel (laughs) great His return to normalcy thing was aided by the atmosphere that Marion provided, a very quaint, small-ish town, um, an orderly place that induced nostalgia in many voters, and you know, nostalgia will get people like no one, nothing else. Uh
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, this is what McKinley did to actually get elected, um, some years earlier, Harding had his front porch remodeled to resemble McKinley's, which his neighbors felt signified presidential ambitions. Um too bad people don't do front port like that would never be a thing anymore right um in the general election the Harding hoolidge hoolidge <laughs> the Harding Coolidge <laughs> ticket defeated the democrats in the largest landslide up to that time capturing 60.2% of the popular vote an electoral margin of fucking 404 to 127 um other people uh cox got 34% of the vote on the other side um and campaigning from a federal prison where he was serving a sentence for opposing war, Socialist Eugene B. Debs received 3% of the national vote.
0: My boy.
1: <laughs> it was the first presidential election in which women across the United States could vote, was this one. Um, having gained the right with the ratification of the 19th Amendment in August of that year, However, I tried looking up. I remember statistics, but mm. I don't think they really kept data on who voted for what then as opposed to now. Yeah, um, My guess is, my assumption is that the women voted for um, if they were married for their husbands, yeah. and if not, then whoever their friends or family were voting right. for. Um, once in office, Warren Harding followed a predominantly pro-business conservative Republican agenda. Taxes were reduced, particularly for corporations and wealthy individuals. High protective tariffs were enacted, and immigration was limited. Does this sound super familiar?
0: I'm getting some deja vu there, Okay, all
1: right. Sounds like it's happening right now. (laughs) Um, Harding also nominated ex-president Taft as the chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. To date, Taft is the only former chief executive to be held that position and um, be president. That's never happened before. I don't think it'll ever happen again. Because I don't think it should. Yeah. Uh, And I believe Taft was the one so big that he had to have his own special tub. Was that Taft? I want to think so. Okay.
0: Let's look it up real quick. Just fact check this.
1: Yeah. Hashtag armchair apocrypha.
0: Taft's bathtub. Did William Howard Taft really get stuck in a bathtub?
1: See. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> okay, funny, funny anecdotes. Um. <laughs> actually, during Harding's time as president, he appointed four fucking justices to the Supreme Court, and he was only president for two years. Oh okay. god. So, keep that in mind.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. During his presidency, new technology was happening. Mass production of the motor car. Um, stimulated other industries as well as such as highway construction, rubber, steel, and building. As hotels were being erected to accommodate tourists, um, the economic boost helped bring the nation out of the recession, actually. And to pr- improve and expand the nation's highway system, he signed the, highway, the Federal Highway Act of 1921. Um, the government spent $162 million on American's highway system, infusing the U.S. economy with a large amount of capital.
0: I really wish that somebody, uh, Greg Fisher, would um, infuse our highways <laughs> with some money to help them not be so, so shitty, pot
1: holy. Jeez. Yeah. Ugh. Um. In 1922, Harding proclaimed that America was in the age of the motor car, which reflects our standard of living and gauges the speed of our present-day life. Uh. Blah blah blah. All right. In the first half of 1923, Harding did two acts that were later said to in- indicate foreknowledge of his death. He sold the Star newspaper, mm-hmm. um, and made a new will, but, I mean, anyone can say that if anyone makes a new will. Yeah. Harding had long suffered occasional health problems, but when he was not experiencing symptoms, he tended to eat, drink, and smoke too much. Hmm. Hmm. There's no correlation, though. Nope, nope. Um... Uh, By 1919, he was aware he had a heart condition, stress caused by the presidency, and um, by Florence Harding's ill health herself, she had chronic kidney condition, uh, debilitated him, and he never really recovered from an episode of influenza in January 1923, so this is where we went to his death. So, in June, so six months after this bout of influenza, which never really went away, he set out on a journey, which was dubbed the Voyage of Understanding.
0: The Voyage of Understanding.
1: That's a great name for a boat, I think. <laughs> um, the president planned to cross the country, go north to the Alaska Territory, and then go south along the West Coast, um, then travel by Navy ship through the Panama Canal to Puerto Rico, and then return to Washington at the end of August. So this big little loop around, yeah. basically. Which sounds like fun. I would do that. Uh, he loved to travel and had long contemplated a trip to Alaska. This would allow him to speak widely across the country to um, help him with the campaign if he were to get reelected. Right. And allow him some rest as well. On July 26, Harding toured Vancouver, British Columbia, as the first sitting American president to visit Canada. He was welcomed by the Premier of British Columbia and the Mayor of Vancouver and spoke to a crowd of over 50,000 people. In Seattle the next day, Harding kept up his busy schedule giving a speech to a mere 25,000 people. A mere um, 25,000
0: people. In the
1: final speech, he gave Harding predicted statehood for Alaska. The President rushed through his speech, not waiting for applause by the audience because he was, like, not feeling great. Yeah. Um, then... On the morning of July 29th, he suffered a relapse. Doctors found that not only was his heart causing problems, but he also had pneumonia, a serious matter in the days before, effective antibiotics, and also for the elderly, anyways. Harding was then confined to bed rest in his hotel room for the remainder of the time. When treated with caffeine, um, Harding seemed to improve. (laughs) He was pleased when when his planned foreign policy address advocating membership in the world court was released by the press. Um, and it got like good reviews.
0: Good.
1: <laughs> By the afternoon of August second, nineteen twenty-three, they allowed him to sit up in bed. The, oh, that sounds so awful. The, that evening at about seven thirty, he was listening to his wife read him an article from the Saturday Evening Post. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she paused to plump his pillows he said that's good read some more these were his last words as Florence Harding resumed her husband su- suddenly twisted convulsively and collapsed back in his bed and she reached to get the doctors they attempted stimulants but were unable to revive him and President Harding was pronounced dead he was 57 years old his death was initially attributed to super- cerebral hemorrhage as doctors at the time generally did not understand the se- symptom of what a heart attack was yeah So, he was still over in, like, California, so his body was returned, um, by train, and nine million people lined the tracks as Harding's body was taken from San Francisco to D.C., and after the funeral there, he went back home to Marion for his burial. Um, so here we go. He was president for basically two years and five months. He appointed four fucking justices, and that's about all he accomplished in his time as presidency when you look at him like he didn't do much um now let's talk about why we're all here the scandals his notorious scandals (laughs) (laughs) um that people didn't know about until after his death um he was actually very admired up to his death and then um after his death one biographer wrote, his reputation plummeted so quickly that only with the greatest reluctance could a Republican successor be persuaded to dedicate his tomb. Um, one, For one thing, Harding appointed a number of friends and acquaintances to federal positions. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Not that qualified, yeah. yeah. Um, then there's the Teapot Dome scandal. The most famous case... A scandal during the presidency was, uh, it's called the Teapot Dome Bribery Scandal. So basically, the Teapot Dome is a rock formation in Wyoming that is shaped similar to a teapot and situated what was once a large U.S. Navy oil reserve. I looked up the teapot thing as a stretch on what that rock looks it's, like.
0: It's vaguely teapot It's shaped. vaguely teapot
1: yeah. Um... Friend of Warren Harding, Albert Fall, who was the Secretary of the Interior, which is a pretty big job in the government, took bribes and secretly leased it to private oil companies in 1921. Albert received 400 fucking thousand dollars in cash and bribes Ouch. and was later convicted and sent to jail. Harding died before the scandals made public. Um... Uh, actually, I... Less than out, but basically, um, oh, yes, yeah, so Albert Fall became the first presidential cabinet member to go to prison for crimes committed while in office. Um, but no one was convicted of paying the bribes. So, on the other side, that's weird. Yeah, before the Watergate scandal, Teapot Dome was regarded as the greatest and most sensational scandal in the history of American politics. And then, of course, the biggest thing were his affairs, because that's not shocking, is it? No. Um, The two most famous are Carrie Fulton Phillips and Nan Britton. Carrie and Harding had an affair that lasted about 15 years. 15. Which ended in 1920 when he started running for the presidency. Now he's got to be a respectful (laughs) man.
0: I'm sorry, we have to break up. Why? I'm running for For president. president. Oh. Oh,
1: okay. In 2014, the Library of Congress released a batch of letters Harding wrote to Kerry. Um, the correspondence revealed that he and the Republican National Committee paid the woman $5,000 a month to stay silent about the affair while he's president. The letters weren't mere declarations of love gone wrong, they were, as Jean Oliver memorably put it, smutty fuck notes. They contained such poetic gems as I love your poise, a perfect thighs. When they hold me in paradise, I love you. Your garden grows. Love seashell pink. That over it glows.
0: <laughs> if if anybody wants to pay me five thousand dollars a month just to write them uh, smutty, smutty poems, smutty poems, uh, please Evil. get in contact. Okay. Um,
1: and Phillips was a worldly woman. She hung the threat of exposure over Harding's head to great po- profit, receiving the RNC a gift somewhere between twenty and twenty-five thousand more than 300,000 today in addition to her monthly hush money. Wow she she's not bank. fucking around no Britain was a little, Nan Brent was a little more innocent in the book she wrote in 1927 just a few years after Harding died excuse me the first tell-all of presidential sex she described losing her virginity to the then Senator Harding when she was 20 and he was over 50 Ugh. in New York in a New York hotel. I remember so well I wore a pink linen dress, which was rather short and enhanced the little girl look. She later wrote, Harding liked that sort of thing. He registered in the hotel under a false name, and he and Britton then um, rode in silence in the elevator to her room. Ew. Um, the relationship between Harding and Britton lasted six years into Harding's presidency. In her book, Britton described the classy locations. Harding secured for their encounters from Harding's Senate office couch, where she said the baby was conceived, which we'll get to. To one particularly romantic spot in the White House. There was a closet in the anteroom. Evidently a place for hats and coats. We repaired there many times in the course of my visits to the White House, and in the darkness of a space no more than five feet square, the president and his adoring sweetheart made love. Which they make a joke about in Veep. They're like, this is the closet allegedly Harding out of the way. Um A trusted Secret Service agent would knock on the door and let them know when Harding's wife, Florence, was approaching. But once Harding died, Brent found herself without financial support for the baby and so decided to write a book about the affair of the president. For the most part, shocking, no one believed her tales or that the child was Harding's and Brent was denounced a deranged pervert, a gold-digging liar, a slut, a liar, and worse. A congressman introduced a bill into the house attempting to ban the sale of the book, stating that it was a blast from hell. Even recent biographers have portrayed her as money-hungry schemes. Well, guess what? In 2015, DNA comparisons between members of the Harding and the blazing families, conducted by ancestry.com, indicate that Harding was Elizabeth's father. The child.
0: Keep that in mind every time you read a uh, stormy Daniels or something. Article. Yeah. Just. Uh, and
1: they they had like a child yeah. to help prove that. Yeah. Um, also. These were not his only infidelities. He actually had many, many throughout his life. These were just the two most famous ones. Right. Um, apparently he called his penis Jerry.
0: Winnie's penis Jerry.
1: Well, oh, that's... He just named him another person's name. Um, and here are some extra inser- interesting facts about Harding. Yes, I'm so sorry. Warren, Warren, Warren Harding had a pet dog named Ladyboy. He was an Airedale and each day collected <clears throat> and delivered to the President's newspaper... And he even had his own chair for cabinet meetings. (laughs) Warren Harding was a gambler and hosted weekly poker games at the White House. Once he gambled the White House China, he lost the game and had to give away the China. Well. I had had heard of that before (laughs) I just can't remember which president did that. Yeah. Um, He was the first president to own a radio and the first to speak over the radio airwaves. He was the first president to visit Canada. As, like, a sitting president and Alaska. Technically, it was the Alaska Territory at that time. Harding wore size 14 shoes. He has had the largest feet of all the presidents up to this time. And Warren Harding has... This is old because it's not current up to current day, I don't think. Uh Warren has been named the least intelligent president. (laughs) current president excluded. Can
0: you imagine that being your legacy Is just the least, least intelligent, intelligent.
1: president? That'd be awful for me. <laughs> I would hate that. I would hate that so much. And that is a little bit about don't even Full Life.
0: Yeah. Well, that was fun. Twas. <laughs> um. I want to make a you know what they say about presidents with big feet joke, but I don't have a punchline for
1: it. So They dialed us in presidency. That I like, don't really know how big Abraham Lincoln's feet or McKinley's feet yeah. or Roosevelt's feet were, so that doesn't really hold true. Maybe they had small feet.
0: Well, Lincoln was a, a He's a very small. So man. he probably had big feet too. Yeah.
1: Roosevelt's a sickly child, yeah. so probably not. You know what they say about presidents with big feet? I know. I thought I had something and then I didn't. There's a punchline
0: there. It's just...
1: Hopefully we'll have one by the next time we record. Hopefully. And everyone will forget and be like, why are they asking about that? That's so random.
0: Hey, Rachel, you know what they say about presents with big feet? What do
1: they say, Andrew? I um, have <laughs> We have a whole week to come up with an answer. We've got to do this.
0: Yeah. We'll f- we'll figure something out. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Rachel has a party to get to and I'm going to play video games mm-hmm. so um, I guess we're going to let you guys go And until next week yeah. um, as always buy my books uh, you can find links on our website at absintheactivismarts.wordpress.com uh, you can find us on Patreon at absintheactivismarts um, consider becoming our first patron um, you can find mm-hmm. us on Facebook at absintheactivismarts you can find us on Twitter at AbsintheActArt, uh, but we have never used our Twitter, so uh, it's going to be a little bit bare. Um, is there anything else that we want to plug? Is that
1: it? I think that's it.
0: Okay. Uh, in that case, we will let you go, and yes. we will see you ne- next week. Thanks for joining us. Totally.